how many of you are here, glad you're here on this cold, rainy, treacherous Wednesday night? Are you glad you're here? How many of you had to come down the highway? How many of you, how many of you at home were going to come down the highway and you felt led? Yeah, we, it took us quite a while to get here and it was something else, but I'm so glad you're here and um, good to be back. I wasn't here Wednesday or Sunday. We were in Nashville and wow, two days after we left, Nashville was struck. And so they're in our prayers, but we had a very fruitful time in the NRB and God opened some really strong doors. You remember me telling you, I'm going to believe this year, 2020, to be the year of maximum impact, okay? God opened doors, and I'll be sharing a little bit more of it with you later for sure, but he opened doors for us to go to the millions, to the millions. And, and we're going to take the gospel to millions of people. Now, uh, my first focus always is here. But how many of you want Turning Point to bless the nation? Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. So uh, two great doors open, and I'll be sharing with you later. But tonight, I'm going where a lot of preachers fear to tread. I'm going to be talking about Hebrews 6 and once saved, always saved, or not. So I want all of you to put your hands out towards me and pray for me. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll take it if you want to, but let's all pray together, and then we're going to get into Hebrews 6 and talk about the danger of apostasy. Amen? Lord, we just thank you for your blessing on the Word of God tonight, and we pray as we get into this very, very powerful chapter in Hebrews that you'll open our eyes, our ears, our hearts And Lord, help us to understand what you were saying when the Holy Spirit moved on the author to write what we're going to read tonight. And thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Thank you for your enabling on me to communicate clearly what the Scriptures say. In Jesus' name, now will everybody just say, Lord, I open my heart to the word of the Lord. Speak to me tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good. I'm glad it's him and not me. Go ahead. I want to welcome everybody who's listening and watching from home or wherever you might be. We are so thankful for modern day technology. We're sitting where you are. You can be here with us. It's not quite as good as being here, but it's better than not being here at all. So we welcome you. Can we give them a hand of welcome tonight, everybody? God bless you. Now, we are going to look at Hebrews 6, um, and last time, a little bit of a recap. By the way, Pastor Brendan did a great job. I don't know where he went, but he did a great job last week, and Pastor Sonny did a great job Sunday with faith ain't in this house. Fear ain't in this house. That's a terrible thing I just said. Rewind, delete, fear ain't in this house. Amen? Amen? little acronym, faith, fear ain't in this house. Can I tell you something real quick? This coronavirus thing, this, this is not Hebrews, but I want to tell our church where I am with this. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. But I got to tell you, I think it's being way overhyped. And 
my concern has been that it'll scare Christians from going into public places, going to church. Um, don't you know the devil will do anything to keep you out of church? Uh, even f- using fear of some virus. But folks, it's, it's really essentially akin to the flu. Now, if you heard that somebody in the church had the flu, are you going to stay away for weeks? Never. Well, don't say yes. If you're going to say yes, tell me after church. But most of us would not stay home, right? So, I mean, you would think the bubonic plague has resurrected, and it hasn't. Very few deaths, and of course, we mourn over every death from anything. Um, it's not good. It, it leaves hurt people and, and pain and heartbreak, and, and I'm not minimizing that at all. But I want us to keep our heads on straight, that our focus needs to be the gospel, the word of God, worshiping Jesus. And as Sonny preached Sunday, fear ain't in this house. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Come on. So, you know, don't let it keep you away. Never let something like that keep you away from church unless some major compelling reason comes out that is legitimate, uh, that comes from whomever, and we confirm that or, or we go along with that and we say don't come, then, you know, and that's just my opinion. Like I said, I'm not a doctor, but I'm not gonna walk in fear over any virus. Amen? All right. I'm done with that. Everybody say, thank God he's done. And I, and I want you to spread the word. I said that on Wednesday night because I want our whole church to know where we stand with that. Now, last time we closed out chapter 5 with the writer expressing frustration that his readers had become stuck in spiritual infanthood. I've often I've, I've thought lately about writing a book called Stuck. Stuck and deal with this whole thing of not growing spiritually. But the Hebrews he wrote to were stuck in babydom, infanthood, in the crib, in diapers, spiritually speaking. They should be teachers by now, but instead they needed to be taken through the elementary doctrines of the faith. And so he deals with that as he closes out chapter 5. But chapter 6 is going to pick up right there with the writer listing the six foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. So really, you could take away the chapters. Chapter 5 leads right into chapter 6. There weren't chapters in the original writings anyway. And for sure here, it's too bad there's a chapter because it's just picking up where 5 left off. Therefore, now whenever you see a therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. Right? Therefore is a connective. Therefore, is connecting one thought to something you're about to say. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on. Everybody say, go on. Let's move on. Go on. Move onward, forward, and upward. Let's get with it. Listen to his voice here. Listen to his burden. Let's go on. Get out of babyhood. Let's go on to perfection. Now, when the Bible uses the word perfection, It is taken from a Greek word that just means maturity. Let's go on to maturity because nobody's ever perfect. But let's go on from infanthood, spiritually speaking, into spiritual maturity. Let's go on. Not laying again the foundation 
of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So he's saying, let's go on. Don't, don't force us, he's saying to them, as your teachers, to have to take you back and repeat what we've already taught you. The basic fundamental doctrines of the faith. You ought to be beyond that. You ought to be chewing on some meat and not just spiritual milk. Amen? So the six foundational doctrines of the Christian faith that he mentions, let me just real quickly jump over them. Repentance from dead works. That's all about our entrance into all that God has for us, beginning with our salvation, is repentance. So he said, let's move on from repentance from dead works, works that don't save us, good works that don't save us. Let's move on from repentance. Then faith toward God. We're saved by grace through faith, not the dead works he's just mentioned. We're we're saved by faith toward God in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Then the third foundational stone is doctrine of baptisms. And notice baptisms is plural. And so here's a few. This would include baptism into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. When you and I got saved, we got baptized by the Holy Spirit, which means immersed or placed into the universal body of Christ. So though we are Turning Point Church, and there's a million, kajillion other churches in America, uh, But you know what? We're all in the same universal church. Amen? We're just in different buildings with different names and different leadership. But we're all in the universal body of Christ. Which, by the way, is what Catholic means. Universal. Not saying go get into a Catholic church. I'm just saying that's what Catholic means. Universal. So the thought that we're all in the universal body of Christ is true. Then the fourth foundation stone is laying out of hands. We lay hands on those entering into the ministry. We lay hands on the sick for their healing. And we sometimes lay hands on somebody for the impartation of a spiritual gift. That happened to me. I had hands laid on me when I was just starting out and something was imparted to me. I know it for sure. Okay. That same thing happened with Timothy. The fifth foundation stone is resurrection of the dead. This is the doctrine that all believers will be raised from the dead. Hallelujah. With resurrected, glorified bodies fitted for heaven. The body you and I have right now ain't getting into heaven because our body is corrupt and fallen. But the bodies we're going to get are going to be fitted for heaven. You and I can't go jump in the ocean and swim under the water and live under the water because we don't have bodies fitted for the water. We've got to have scuba gear. But we're not going to get into heaven with these bodies. They've got to be glorified. And at the core of the Christian faith is the promise, not only of heaven, but of a resurrected, glorified body. Amen? And so that's a foundation stone in Christian understanding. And then the last one, eternal judgment. There is coming an awesome judgment, everybody, called the great white throne judgment where all the unsaved are going to be judged for their unrepented of sin. And that's coming. So there's the foundation stones. It's six of them. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you you ought to have that down. 
You ought to have a hold of that where I don't have to repeat it to you again. Let's move on from these basic foundational doctrines. Let's move on into some deeper waters. Now, notice the writer says that we will go on from these foundational truths into maturity if God permits, if God lets us, if God permits. Even with strong resolve, everybody, I hope you know by now, we will never move forward with God unless it is God working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you know that's true? I want you to say something with me. I am what I am. Papa, I stole this from the word of God. I am what I am. Say with me, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what Paul's testimony was. He said, look, don't look at me as being anything great because I am what I am by the grace of God, period. I can look you in the eye and say, you see, Jeff Wickwire, let me promise you, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And I am what I am in him solely by the grace of God. And anything I'm not yet, the grace of God hasn't wrought in me yet. But what I have been able to achieve or rise to in spiritual growth, I am by the grace of God, and so are you. That's why Paul says in another place, why are you bragging about yourself, your gifts, your abilities, your anointings? Why are you going on bragging trips? Why are you strutting around when when it's a gift to you? You received a gift. You didn't come up with it. It's a gift. Your gifts were gifted to you by the great gift giver, Jesus Christ. And so I am what I am by the grace of God. Amen? You ought to put that on your refrigerator as a sticker, just a little refrigerator sticker. I love that statement. You know, Cindy will compliment me sometimes, and I say, you know what, sweetie? I am what I am by the grace of God, and that's the truth. God knows. I know it better than anybody. I am what I am by the grace of God, so are you. We've got to rely on Jesus, abiding in him, in order to grow up into him and bear kingdom fruit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing about spiritual growth. You and I will never grow one iota, one scintilla spiritually apart from Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed a branch in your backyard when a branch breaks off of a tree? Have you noticed that for a little while it looks just fine? It's still got blossoms on it. Um, it looks healthy. It's green. And, and you say, well, that branch is fine. But no, it's not because it was disconnected from the tree, which was its life. If you wait a little while, it, it withers, it grows brown, it dries up, and it dies because apart from the tree, it can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, folks, and abiding in him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we will immediately begin to wither, dry, and die. Amen? In him was life. In him is our life. Now, next the writer gives an example of a case where God cannot permit growth into maturity. Now, here we go with this issue, this hot-button topic. Taken from these verses, let's read them. Chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, Hebrews. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God 
and the powers of the age to come, if they, what everybody? Fall away. To renew them again to what? Repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves. Wow, this is tough. They crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and they put the Son of God to an open shame. Wow. Now we're getting into some tough verbiage. All right? Now, these verses through the centuries have caused heated debate. Whole denominations have come out of what your opinion is about these verses one way or the other. Whole denominations will will fight tooth and nail over the interpretation of these verses. Because it has to do with, are these verses talking about somebody saved and somebody losing their salvation? Or is it talking about somebody that was never quite saved? Who are these verses talking about? Real believers or not real believers? Church people, religious people, who's it talking about? Some believe that the passage is not intended to describe those who are true Christians, but only those who got close and then fell back. And others believe it refers to those who are true Christians who apostatize. So let's unpack this, and I'm going to give you what I've come to. I've studied this. I've debated about this. I'm not going to stand here and and tell you that, that, that I have the answer and nobody else has it, but I do believe I've come to a legitimate, exegetical uh, answer for these verses that is sound, and you can take it home, put it in your pocket, and take it out tomorrow and live by it. So let me just try to unpack this now. First, we need to understand the difference between what we call backsliding and actual apostasy. Backsliding, what is it? It's a failure in testimony and practical Christian living, resulting in a believer walking in a way dishonoring to the Lord. As bad as it is to backslide, there is a road open to restoration by true repentance and confession. We read in Hosea, read it out loud with me, I will heal their backsliding. I will heal what? Their backsliding. I will love them freely. So what is a backslider? A backslider is somebody who knows the word of God, but they're not living by it. They're born again, but they're not living by it. And if lost people were to get close to them and observe their life and their lifestyle, it would not be a good testimony to the unbeliever, because the backslider is not walking it. They're talking it, but they're not walking it. I knew it was going to be so quiet in here, you could hear a pin drop on a shag carpet, but I'm going to move ahead. Because you see, the apostle Peter was a backslider for a season. What did he do? He denied the Lord with oaths and cursing. Yet we all know how tenderly the Lord brought about his restoration, did he not? He called him from the seashore, and he had a fish fry going, and he invited Peter to join him, and he asked him three times, do you love me? Peter responded three times, you know that I do. I could work that a little bit further, but I'm going to leave it there for time. But Peter backslid, but he was restored. I want to just contend, having pastored for a long time, the church is filled with people who are backslidden in some area of their life. I'm not saying it's right. It's not right, but it's true. Um, 
if I can get real blunt, one area where a lot of people backslide in the church is their sexuality. They think it's okay to look at porn or they think it's okay when I'm single to involve myself with somebody else intimately if I love them. I've been told this to my face, uh, and it's a deception. Because I want you to remember something, church. I only say this because I love you. And here's the truth. Love never justifies sin. Love never sanctifies sin. If you love them, put a ring on it. I'm just going to say it. Come on. And my dear sister in Christ, if he's saying to you, baby, if you love me, you would, you say back, baby, if you love me, you wouldn't ask. Okay, now, I knew tonight was going to be tough. I think everybody sensed it. That's why they stayed away. The weather helped them. And now they're at home going, oh, thank God I'm not there looking at him. But now listen, we got to be truthful here because the Bible says fornication is very damaging in many ways. And our body is not our own. And I didn't come tonight to talk about sex, but let me just talk about sex a minute. Our body is not our own. You've been purchased with a price. I have. So you don't own your body. You know, the mantra of our day is, it's my body. I'll do what I want with it. If you're saved, it ain't your body. It's his. He bought it with a price. The high currency of the blood of the lamb. And so since it's his and it's not yours, you can't do with it what you want. And it helps to understand God's not a killjoy. He doesn't want to take away the fun in life. He's not a party pooper. He's not a, he doesn't, he's not a God that doesn't want you to enjoy life and have fun. But have you ever noticed that sin it has a deception to it? Sin promises what it can't fulfill or provide. So you tell yourself, well, if I get intimate with this person, then I'm going to be fulfilled, I'm going to be happy, and they're going to stick around. If you're afraid of losing them, if you don't go intimate, you're in a wrong relationship right there. But the bottom line is, you give that sin time, it always turns on you. And there's always a payday someday. And so, and, and the sexuality thing is just an example. There's other examples of how Christians have somehow in our day compartmentalized the faith. And they say, well, on Sundays, I'm going to be in church so because I'm a Christian. But on Mondays, I'm going to live like the world because I'm in the world and I'm going to work in the world and I'm just not going to be quite as Christian as I am on Sunday when I'm in church. But the bottom line is we're called to be Christian 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Okay, but we compartmentalize it. We say, well, I can be Christian here on Sundays, but I can get intimate with somebody during the week, and, and that's another part of my life, and that, that's a part that I'm just going to keep to myself. But the bottom line is, he owns all of us. And I know it's a struggle, but we do this with, we do this with drinking too much, drunkenness, hitting the bars, Christians, compartmentalizing their faith. You go out there and they say, well, I'm just going to, well, I had too many. I got, I got kind of drunk and, you know, people saw you. 
and, and then Sundays, you're hallelujah, kumbaya, praise the Lord. But, but listen, God wants us consistent. Can I have an amen tonight? God wants us consistent. And, and so backsliders compromise in some area that hurts their, their confession and their profession. But apostasy is different. Backsliding can be repented of, and you can be restored. I've known a gazillion backsliders, but I've known a teeny handful of apostates. Because here's apostasy. The Greek word for falling away in that verse is apostasia, from which we get our English word apostasy. And an apostate is somebody who openly renounces Christ and then declares he wants nothing to do with him, nothing to do with his cross, nothing to do with his shed blood, and they do not want to identify with the Lord Jesus in any way, shape, or form. They are out, buddy, gone, doors shut. I'm renouncing Christianity. I'm going into the world. I want nothing to do with it. That's different from backsliding. Like I said, I've only known a few. One guy, and I think I can remember maybe three in my whole Christian experience that I think were genuine apostates. One was there when I was water baptized. We were in the streets together witnessing to everything that moved about Jesus. In our meetings, he's hallelujah, kumbaya, praise the Lord. But one day I got told that he had walked away and I called him. And he began to curse at me. He told me he wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He renounced the faith, and he walked away. And he has been away ever since. That's an apostate. A backslider says, I know I'm doing wrong. I just can't help it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe I'm just weak. Lord, Lord, you know, Lord I'm not renouncing you. I just, I'm just messing up. Please forgive me. But the apostate says, I want nothing to do with him. I could care less what he thinks about anything I'm doing. I'm done with that. The Apostle Paul predicted a great apostasy of this kind in the last days. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. That's talking about the return of Christ. That day, the return of Christ will not come, except there come a falling away. There's the word apostasia. First, and that man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed the son of perdition. Here's Paul telling the Thessalonians in the last days, there's going to be a widespread pandemic apostasy across the scale, on a large scale, across the spectrum, all denominations, Christians or professing Christians everywhere, many. What did Paul say to Timothy? In the last days, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So there again, he's predicting an apostasy. And folks, I believe we're witnessing the blooming of this final great apostasy right now as I teach in front of you. I can prove it to you in so many ways. It's happening in so many of the major denominations who, who, that used to be pillars of the truth. They used to stand on Scripture. They used to preach Scripture. They used to be stalwart believers in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God. But now whole denominations 
are rejecting the clear moral teaching of Scripture as well as the conviction that the Bible is God's inerrant word and is to be obeyed no matter what the culture says. I could care less what the culture thinks. I care everything what he thinks. But see, we're watching whole denominations cave in to the demands of the culture and they've come to a stupid conclusion. To reach them, I gotta be like them. Oh, no, no, no. The more different you are, the better you're gonna reach them. If, 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 listen, we're to be lights shining into the dark. We're not to be like them. We're to be unlike them, and they're supposed to wonder why we're unlike them. And, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you why I'm unlike you, because I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus changed me, transformed me, revolutionized my life. And the the more different you are, the more appealing it is, unless you're weird, and I don't want you to be weird. I'm not talking about being eccentric. I'm talking about the light shining and having a clean life and being delivered from the bondage of the devil. And many non-denominational churches and movements are now embracing New age mysticism, moral perversion, rather than holding true to God's word. We're we're watching, we've seen the last few months, last half a year, um, known Christian authors and pastors and and, uh, singers renounce the faith. I'm going to talk about that as we go on now. This is the way total apostasy comes about, step by step inch by inch, compromise by compromise until there's nothing left but a shell of true Christianity. Paul put it this way. They have a form of godliness. They look godly, but they deny the real power of Christianity. In other words, the Holy Spirit's not operating in their life. The writer says that there is no road to recovery and restoration from apostasy. That's what it says. I'm telling you what it says. There is no road to recovery from apostasy. Because something happens in the apostate's mind. Paul said in Romans 1, they are turned over to a reprobate mind. And in the apostate's mind, something clicks, something switches off, something, they they cross a line that only God knows about. And once they cross that line, they can't be retrieved back. Are you ready? They don't want to be retrieved back. Their heart is cold. They've left God, and we're going to show you the writer of Hebrews is warning the Hebrew uh, Jewish people of his time to watch out for the danger of apostasy. So in verse 4, the first part of it, so I'm just going to say A, B, and C for verse 4. In verse 4a, he addresses the dire danger of apostasy by beginning with these really uh, chilling words. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened Now, enlightened means that the apostates had been instructed in the ways of the gospel. They had heard the teaching of the gospel. The verb teach in Hebrew is very frequently translated as enlighten in the Septuagint. Now, in case you're wondering, the Septuagint is the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. It was translated a couple of centuries before Jesus came to the earth by about 70 Greek scholars. It was translated out of Hebrew into Greek so that you had the Old Testament 
translated into Greek. And when they translated into Greek, the word teach that was used in the Old Testament Hebrew was translated into the word enlighten. So in Hebrews here, he's saying these people have been taught. When he says they have been enlightened, he means they've been taught. The apostates had been taught about Christ. But as we all know, it's one thing to be taught about Christ intellectually, but it's quite another thing to be transformed by him spiritually. Amen? I have an amen tonight. Come on, you know it's true. There's a lot of people I know who know the word. Oh, yeah, they've been raised in church. They know the scriptures. But I can tell you they've never been born again. There are pastors that step in pulpits. Not many, I would hope, but there are certainly some every Sunday who stand up and quote the scriptures, and they've never been born again. There are churches filled with all across America. Billy Graham once said, the greatest harvest field in the world is the church. Because so many people are in it that know the Bible and they're familiar, they're on the periphery of Christianity, but they've never been born again. So these apostates have been taught. They have been enlightened. They have been taught. Verse 4b, and also they tasted the heavenly gift and they have tasted the good word of God. Everybody say tasted. Now, when I taste something, it's very different from eating it or devouring it. Amen? If I taste something. Tasting is not the same as swallowing the food, eating the food, digesting the food. I've got a taste. That means I've got a little bit of an idea about it, but I have never enjoyed that meal. I've only had a cursory taste. The apostates had had a fleeting taste of Christianity. They had been taught about it but they never fully partook of the Christian faith. It hadn't penetrated into their inner parts. So yes, here's where I'm going with this. I believe the people the writer of Hebrews is talking about have never truly been born again. So let's continue and I'll make my case. He goes on to say, and they were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. But the word partakers here in Greek is not the same as you find in other parts of the New Testament, like Colossians 1.12 or 2 Peter 1.4, where the word saints is used to apply to Christians, not partakers. Have you ever said, well, I became a partaker back in 1970? Right? No. We're not partakers. We are saints in light. Amen? You may not feel like a saint, but if you're born again, you're a saint. Amen? Now, It's just telling us when it says they were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, it means they were present with believers. They were there to personally witness the works of the Holy Spirit. They saw it. All kinds of people saw Jesus do miracles, but they were never saved. They had associated themselves with the local church and had seen amazing works of God firsthand. Lots of people have who aren't saved. As Hebrews 2.4 says, what did it look like in the early church? God was bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God was moving, the Spirit of God was moving, but not everybody that witnessed that came all the way in. The apostates had been partakers. They were spectators, but they were not participators. 
In this sense, they partook of the Spirit's work, but their hearts had not been regenerated from within. They were like those who crossed the Red Sea without a heart of faith. They never mixed what they heard from Moses with faith. And they were afterwards destroyed. So even though they saw the Red Sea part, they weren't transformed. Even though they saw water come out of rocks and the cloud by day and the fire by night, they, were, they never truly turned to God by faith. Folks, can I tell you something I've learned a long time ago? Miracles don't save people. Miracles, people see miracles all the time and they don't turn to Christ over it. I've realized this. It occurred to me one day, just reading the Bible. I mean, uh, all kinds of people saw Jesus do miracles, but it didn't save them. They watched him do every miracle imaginable all the way down to raising people from the dead, but many of them were never saved. Miracles don't get people saved. One thing does. When you hear the gospel and you are convicted for your sin and you repent, then you will be saved. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? Amen. So the apostates that the writer of Hebrews is, is, is talking about, they saw the power of God, but they didn't know him in a saving sense. What did Jesus say about people in the last days when he finally, when he finally returns to earth? There's going to be a group of people who say, Lord, Lord, we did many wonderful things in your name. We cast out devils. We healed the sick. We did this, that, and the other. And what is Jesus going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. So not only those who saw miracles were often not saved, but those who used his name weren't even saved. One thing does it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, I believe that. Lord, forgive me for my sin and come into my heart. Right then, you are saved. Amen? He finally says that these apostates had tasted of the the powers of the world to come. Now, thanks to the life of the local church, the apostates felt something of the coming glory of the world to come when Christ returns. But here's what they did. They distanced themselves from it once the going got tough. Because remember, what is the book of Hebrews written to? It's written to Hebrews, which were Jews which were raised in Mosaic law, Mosaic ritualism, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, religious lifestyle. And they heard the gospel. They heard all these claims. They saw the apostles doing miracles. They they heard the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And, And some of them came on in and really did get saved. But others were on the periphery deciding. They were torn betwixt two. Do I go to Jesus and really turn my life over to him, or do I stay with Moses? And we're going to see here that he's writing, in verses 6 through 8, he's writing those who decided to go back to Moses. He's warning them, don't go back to Moses. The law can't save you. You are saved by grace through faith, period. The law can't save you. Don't apostatize and go back. Repentance here 
He says, it is impossible if those people shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. It's impossible. Repentance here doesn't necessarily mean salvation. In Greek, it just conveys a a change of thought or opinion regarding a matter. So in spite of sympathizing with the gospel for a time, the apostates ultimately denounced it openly and publicly. They broke with any previous connection they had had with the church, and they went back to Moses. The writer of Hebrews explains that such people cannot be renewed to repentance. Their minds will not be changed. They opted for Moses, and with him they will remain. Their, counter, their, their counterfeit repentance cannot be renewed afresh. They crushed Christ underfoot by approving the very religious system that crucified and murdered Jesus. Because it was religious folks that killed him. Amen? Everybody say with me, heavy. This is heavy, huh? Now for us, it's not going back to Moses. It's going back to the old life, the old ways, the old world. When somebody can go back, I believe this, when they can go back without conviction and live in the sin that they had once lived in before with no conviction and be happy with it or be content with it and be okay with it and be able to sleep good at night, me personally, I don't believe they were ever saved. Well, I know a lot of people, Pastor Jeff, that are back there doing that. I would contend if they were saved, they're backslidden. And God has a woodshed for backsliders, all right? He tells the backslider in Hosea, I'm going to hedge you in. I'm going to take all your lovers away from you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hedge you around with hedges of thorns. Every way you turn, you're going to get stuck and pricked. And, and, and you're going to be miserable in your backslidden state. I've never known a genuine Christian who, when they backslid, could genuinely, truly look at you and say, I'm happy. No, because God works them into, listen, for Jonah, it was a whale's belly. God has all kinds of whale's bellies. Yeah, might be jail, might be a broken heart. It might be financially destitute. Whatever it is, if you're God's child and you're backslidden, he's coming after you and he's bigger than you. And let me tell you who's going to win. Amen. 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 That's all right. Now he describes the fate of the apostate in verses 7 to 8. Let's do it quickly. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. If it's fruitful, God blesses it. But if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be what? Burned. The Living Bible puts it like this. When a farmer's land has had many showers upon it and good crops come up, that land has experienced God's blessing upon it. But if it keeps on having crops of thistles and thorns, The land is considered no good and is ready for condemnation and burning off. This describes the common practice among the Oriental and Roman agriculturists 
of that day to burn bad and barren lands in hopes of burning off the seeds of the weeds that had ruined it. So what does it mean for the apostate? These verses, what does it mean? You know what? I know I don't want to experience it because the end is to be burned, whatever that means. It doesn't sound good. Amen? Now next, and I want to close with this because this is so important we catch this now. It's very important to note at this juncture in the chapter that the writer of Hebrews is careful to distinguish between true saints and hypocrites, apostates. After writing Hebrews 6, 4 to 8, he directs himself to the true believers beginning in verse 9. And he says this in verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning who? You. Who's the you? Real Christians. Yes, things that accompany real salvation, though we speak in this manner. In other words, here's the deal. The author knew that the genuine believers were not apostates. He's very conscious of two distinct groups within the church, those authentically birthed of the Spirit and another group of nominal believers who had never come to the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it's the same in churches today. You've got the real ones, and you've got the terrors growing up right next to the wheat, like I preached on Sunday before last. Terrors growing right next to the wheat. Wheat weeds. And you can't tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds until they're both fully mature. Then you can tell. But terrors look just like real wheat until it's fully mature. Okay? By means of these warnings, all of us Christians should examine ourselves to see if we're truly of the faith, in the faith. And then once we've done that, and it's easy to ask yourself, am I really in the faith or am I just playing a religious game? Am I in or am I like these terrors growing up next to the weed? Am I like these apostates who got close, but they never went fully in? And when it got hot to stand for Jesus, they went back to Moses or you go back to your old life. So are, are you in the faith? Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Amen. I'm going to stop there. I wanted to finish, but I'm going to stop there because there's no way I can do chapter 6 in one. Dealing with this topic, no way I could handle the whole chapter in one night. But I want to stop here. Let me just ask you. First of all, aren't you glad that Jesus died for you? Amen? Can we stand up together tonight? Aren't you glad that amazing grace, how sweet the sound, came knocking on the door of your heart? Amen? And folks, let me just encourage you. I know this was a a, a strong topic. I know that. But if you're Jesus, if you are belong to him and are owned by him and he's your savior and and you're his child, let me tell you what he said. No man is going to pluck them out of my hands. Amen? No man. Everybody say no man. So I can tell you no devil, no man, no no circumstance is going to pluck you out of his hands. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and they will not listen to the voice of a stranger, but they will follow me. 
So if you're the Lord's and he is yours, can we lift our hands in praise tonight and just say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm yours and you are mine and your banner over me is love. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on my life. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you for fruitfulness. And thank you, Lord, for keeping me from the sin and the wickedness of this world. And thank you, Lord, that a new day is coming. Lord, we just stand here tonight with our hands raised thanking you that not only are we one day going to be in heaven, but you're going to give us a brand new, resurrected, glorified body. Thank you, Lord God. And Lord, we know that you have not put us in this world to hide under a bushel, but you put us where we can shine into this dark and wicked culture with the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to do it, Lord. Can we say together, Lord, help me that my life would count for God in Jesus' mighty name. Help me to bear fruit that glorifies God. And help me to reach spiritual maturity where I'm no longer in infanthood, but I'm a mature, spiritual man or woman of God. Now, if you believe the Lord heard that, give me praise tonight. Come on, give me praise. Thank you, Lord. And let's go ahead and worship. Let's sing one chorus to the Lord, and then we're going to go. Thank you, Lord. Come on, everybody, lift your hands and let's sing it to him. God is so good. Yes, God is so good. God is so good. Now sing, God, you're so good. Sing it now. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good good Now one more chorus. I praise you now. Let's lift our hands and just do it. president of Christian Satellite Network who wanted to meet with us. Now, Christian Satellite Network, we have been on on Sundays. It reaches the entire nation. We're also on Calvary Radio Network and Penfeld Network. But the main one, Christian Satellite Network, we were on on Sundays. And he said to me, I'm going to offer you a drive time slot daily um, where you will be on in every time zone in drive time with a potential reach of 50 million people. That's right. And then gave a price that I, I wanted to rub my ears He said, because you've been faithful on Sundays, here's what we're going to offer it to you for. 
And I walked away with my radio producer. And he said, I can't believe they, they offered you that and they did that. And I thought, well, it's called F-A-V-O-R. And this is what they said to me. They said, we don't want fluff preachers. We want word preachers who will tell it like it is. And we've been listening on Sundays. And so that's, so we want people like yourself who will not cut corners or water it down, but will tell it because the days are short, America's in trouble, and we want to put you out there. And so it happened. Now that's one of two. Come on, we can do better than that. Because listen, here's the deal. So March 30th, we start on Monday. Um, and we'll be going across the entire nation of America in California. And they got a bunch of stations in California. We will be on at 5.30 in rush hour traffic where they're stuck and and we'll be listen and so you ought to look up csn.com and look at all the stations that are on that network they just bought a brand new full power station in Honolulu now I'm believing for Honolulu revival so that they invite me to come kidding but they have six stations in Honolulu. They have like 20 in California. So we're going to go all over the United States of America in prime time, Monday through Friday. Now that's a praise God. So you and I are going to reach the country. Now I'm going to leave you with this. I went to my hotel room and I prayed after this offer. I don't do anything if God doesn't tell me it's me. And he said, to my heart, take it. And then he said, there's going to be much more. There's going to be much more because this will open other doors. And folks, I'm believing that God's going to help us to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And God's going to make it happen. So want to leave you with that. How many of you are happy? Come on. We ought to rejoice in that. Amen. Amen. So, Father, bless the people as they go. Help them get home safely in this rain. And we thank you, Lord, that this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night. We love you.